Today is October 21st, 2020. The DOJ takes Google to court. Russia and the United States near a deal that would put a freeze on nuclear warhead production. And the next presidential debate gets some new rules. Split the difference, friends, and split the difference, family. We've got a show today. Let me tell you. It's the best one we've done so far. I know it's true. I can feel it in my bones. It's a good episode today. We got crazy stuff happening on the left. And guess what? We also got crazy stuff happening on the right. So we're going to hop in and we're going to look at all the good stuff. We got a good show for you today. Uh, Just a little bit of if you have never listened to us, let me go ahead and give you my spiel. I have to do this up front. We are a political podcast here at Split the Difference. We look at both sides of the aisle as best that we can. We look at the good. We look at the bad. We do our best to try and find that that little sweet middle ground where the truth oftentimes lies. I think that uh, we are often told that there's way too much division in this world right now, especially in politics. And here at Split the Difference, we want to come together, acknowledge the fact that we have opinions and that we may have differences in the things that we believe. But we want to be level-headed, we want to be reasonable, we want to try and split the difference between both parties and find a good good middle ground. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead, let's hop on into our story number one. So, story number one, uh, the Department of Justice filed a suit this week to pursue Google in an antitrust lawsuit. This is huge, this is a very, very big story, kind of breaking, so... Go ahead and hop in, and let's take a look at the first first story through a, uh, a video produced by uh, CNBC. Let's go ahead and hop in and take a look now. Well, that's right, Becky. This investigation by the Justice Department has been going on for roughly a year, and I can confirm now that the Justice Department is planning to file that antitrust complaint against Google, challenging its dominance in the search industry and the way that it uses its advertising revenue to maintain that position. All right, so uh, basically what she's going through and saying here is kind of describing what exactly it is that the Department of Justice wants to be able to pursue out of Google. Their entire thing is basically Google got way too big by a whole bunch of illegal measures, hence why they're suing Google. Um, And they're basically using all of the money that they make from their ad revenue in order to be able to crowd out smaller competition. And there's no way for competition to be able to get in and do anything because Google is gigantic. Let's listen back into what she's saying now. Two sources also tell me that states were required to sign a good faith commitment before they could even read the full complaint. So I expect that means that we will see many, if not all, Democratic AGs not signing on to this. And so that could spell trouble for Google down the road because that could mean that they continue their own investigation. Perhaps it ends in their own lawsuit, even as this complaint from the DOJ wends its way through the court system. But guys, for now, I can confirm... All right, so uh, basically what she's saying there in that second little bit is uh, it is partisan. So because, I, you know, Barr at the, as the AG or I guess as the, uh, the head dog up there at the DOJ uh, are pursuing this, pursuing this lawsuit against Google, uh, pretty much only Republican AGs across the country, state AGs, are going to be signing on with them. So attorney generals in Democratic states as of now, have none of them have, have been willing to sign on to it. But, and we'll get into this in a second, but that's probably actually going to mean worse things for Google because this is, for the first time, and this is exciting, y'all, but 
This is something that both the left and the right agreed needs to happen. What? Bum, bum, bum. Not good for Google. So uh, let's go ahead and hop and take a look at what this story is. So they've been investigating, the Department of Justice has been investigating Google and three other tech companies for about a year now. They've been looking at Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Apple, all for pretty much the same thing. All of these tech companies have gotten gigantic very, very quickly. They're crowding out competition, and the Attorney General and the Department of Justice is basically saying, you guys are doing that in an illegal fashion, and you guys are violating antitrust laws. So most of this centers around tactics specifically that Google has used uh, to make sure that they are the go-to search engine for pretty much every single computer. I mean... Honestly, guys, Google is a verb now. If you say that you want to search something, you say, hey, that's worth a Google. Uh, why don't you Google that? Hmm, I wonder what, what the answer is to this thing. You know what? I think I'm going to give it a Google. It's a verb. Obviously, Google is completely prolific. It's the only search engine most people even know exists. Um, they, have, they had $162 billion in revenue in 2019. $162 billion. That is more than the entire economy of Hungary, the whole country of Hungary. What? That is a gigantic company. Uh, it would not blow me away at all if Google happened to be doing some pretty illegal or at least unethical practices in order to get that big. But to me, the most surprising thing here is that believe it or not, both sides of the aisle are like gung-ho on this. Republicans and Democrats both agree big tech has to be checked. Something's got to happen. So pretty much everyone in Congress ready to go. They're jumping on it. They're like, cool, figure out what we need to do. Attorney generals are like, I'm not, I may not sign on. If I'm a Democratic attorney general, I may not sign on with the Department of Justice right this second, but I'm going to pursue my own lawsuits in different ways. I can't have, you know, a Republican Department of Justice run, Republican run Department of Justice, which is such a farce to begin with because it shouldn't be political. But, you know, a Democratic AG is going to say, I can't have a Republican Department of Justice getting all the cred for going in and knocking out Google. So uh, both Republicans and Democrats have been very outspoken about this, especially over this past year. So uh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who has been very outspoken in his uh, disdain for large tech, um, came out and said, today's lawsuit is the most important antitrust case in a generation. Google and its fellow big tech monopolists exercise unprecedented power over the lives of ordinary Americans, controlling everything from the news we read to the security of our most personal information. And Google in particular has gathered and maintained that power through illegal means. Uh, United States Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted uh, about a month ago, September 10th, using the hashtag break up big tech, and then she wanted swift and aggressive action. So we've seen so far 11, as of the time of recording of this episode, 11 Republican uh, attorney generals sign on uh, to join the Department of Justice. Um, so far, there's been a couple other states that have decided that they want to pursue, or pursue suits as well. Uh, Texas, most notably, and also Colorado, which is leading a couple of other states together to pursue suits against large tech companies. Um, Texas is supposed to roll out a suit uh, actually here within the next month or so. So this all spells very bad news for Google. It does not look good. 
Um, Google has gotten hit overseas multiple times as well. So if you remember looking in the news here over the past couple years, you've seen that the EU has fined Google, let's see this, $1.7 billion in 2019 for stopping websites from using Google's rivals to find advertisers, uh, $2.6 billion in 2017 for favoring its own shopping business in search results, and $4.9 billion in 2018 for blocking rivals on its wireless Android operating system. So, they, Google has, this is not the first rodeo for Google in terms of getting in trouble with governments because they're doing illegal stuff because they're gigantic and they pretty much just bully everybody. So, uh, interestingly enough though, this actually kind of ties into, uh, a, the story that I've kind of covered within the past episode or two, um, about big tech getting in trouble and getting under a lot of fire from, um, people on both the left, but especially on the right, especially most recently with the story about Hunter Biden. So um, here over the past couple of days, we've covered and we've talked about the story that was released by the New York Post about Hunter Biden, which the story has not gone away necessarily, but Twitter and Facebook still have it pretty much under lock and key. Um, Twitter decided that it was going to I guess, hush, hush that story as much as possible. They haven't come out and said what parts of the story are disinformation. They haven't come out and said that uh, the story itself is false or denied facts within the stories. The Biden campaign actually hasn't even come out and said that the story was false or that any of the, a lot of the facts are disputed. disputed. Um, but the New York Post still has their Twitter account suspended. So a lot of these big tech companies right now are under a ton of fire from Congress and from especially Republicans right now, but they've been under fire from Democrats as well. Um, people are starting to look around and they're starting to look at these big tech companies and they're starting to go, wait a second, like I, this isn't good. That is, it's not good that these big tech companies have so much power over manipulating, you know, what I think and what I see and, um, my search results and the politics that I hear, uh, the news that I hear, when I hear it, who I'm connected to, and when I hear from them. People don't like that tech companies have this much power. And uh, especially when companies are getting as big as a Google or an Amazon or uh, you know a Facebook, any of these gigantic companies are worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. I mean, Apple within the past year has become the first trillion dollar company in market size. That is an incredible amount of wealth. A lot of people are predicting are predicting that Jeff Bezos could become the first trillionaire, the first human being that is worth over a trillion dollars. I don't think that we realize how much a trillion dollars is. That is gigantic beyond our imagination. So people are, are angry, right? They're angry at these big tech companies very much in the same way. And we, we talked about this on an episode or two ago, but very similar in the way that uh, Roosevelt went after a lot of these large railroad and oil companies and everything about 100, 120 years ago. So this is not the first time large companies have been broken up or have been attacked by uh, the United States government, sued by the United States government. It definitely will not be the last either. Um, but this could have huge implications for the way that the technology landscape is driven and is shaped, especially here over the next couple of decades. For all that we have known in terms of large tech companies has been there's a bunch of little startups that happen. They grow and grow and grow. And then in the beginning, it was, you know, a, 
the big four, kind of, you know, big five tech companies. And they basically just started gobbling up all the other small tech companies. Well, that's still going on. And those big companies are only getting bigger and bigger. I think, you know, I haven't looked at the specifics of the case that the DOJ has brought out, but uh, I, some people are saying that it's a good case. Some people are saying that they've got a tough case to be able to win. Bottom line is, this is not going to be the first case that the DOJ files against a lot of these large tech companies, and it won't be the last. And a lot of these companies are going to have a pretty tough time convincing the American people that they're not doing something nefarious when they're constantly under the lock and key or under the watch of the federal government and congressmen and women that are pointing at these tech companies and being like, these people are awful and they're abusing all of our privacy and all of our rights. So honestly, funnily enough, I don't have a crazy breakdown between the right and the left because they pretty much agree. They may disagree somewhat on the reasoning behind wanting to attack the big tech companies. The right pretty much wants the First Amendment to be taken care of. They don't want the tech companies to be quelling out competition, and they don't want the tech companies to be uh, coming through and telling people whether, what, you know, what they can and can't say. Whereas the left, I guess, is looking at it from much more of a perspective of, uh, we just don't like large businesses, and we don't think it's good for the little man for large companies to be running the show. But either way, the left and the right agree. Big tech has got some big problems. And uh, William Barr came through and pulled a big punch this week. A lot of big going on this week. Um, So I say all of this as I'm reading my notes off of my Google Drive. Ha! Let's go ahead and move on into now our story number two. So story number two, the United States and Russia may be finishing up on an arms deal here soon. This is a really, really big story that is going to get pretty much no media coverage. And we'll get into why here in a second. But um, the idea is basically that uh, the Russia Russia and the United States have been in talks for the last little while, but uh, a huge push for the Trump administration has been to be able to get some sort of nuclear armistice between Russia and the United States to try and put a freeze on the creation of and the building of more nuclear warheads. This is absolutely in the best interest of the United States. The last thing that we want is a hot, another large, hostile country continuing to make and produce nuclear warheads. This was the whole reason why there was a Cold War with Russia with all throughout um, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. So um, about, I think it was in 2011, uh, but the Obama uh, administration went through and signed a deal that was called, um, and I want to get this right because I don't want to tell you what is wrong. I believe the New Start deal. So the New Start program was basically a program that would go through and um, more or less put Russia and the United States on somewhat better program, uh, I guess, or I guess somewhat better terms, and. Um, would be able to keep the Russia from being able to step in and hurt United States interests abroad uh, on a large scale globally. Well, you're not basically Trump is saying this was a good deal. I want to extend this deal for a year, but I also want to be able to add in a provision about keeping Russia from making nuclear warheads. The purpose and the reason behind why Trump wants to do this is because his reasoning is if he gets ahead, if he goes in and he extends this new start program, which is set to expire in February here in about two, about four months or so, uh, then either him, obviously he hopes that he's the next president, but either if him or Biden 
comes into the presidency this coming upcoming year, they will have a good foundation on which to be able to work throughout the entirety of the new start program ending over the next year to be able to also add China into this program and to be able to hopefully create uh, a bit of a a bit of a easier t- easing of tensions between the l- largest world powers. Um, the reason why I say that this is a story that pretty much no one will cover and the vast majority of you probably have not heard about this is because Trump is doing it. And if there's anything that the media don't like, it's Donald Trump. Now, listen, I have my qualms with Trump just as much as the rest, just as much as the next person. Like, I'm sure if you have spent any time listening to this podcast over the past couple of weeks, you have heard me say plenty of times that I, you know, don't like a lot of the stuff that Trump does, or I don't like a lot of the stuff that Trump says. I am not going to be the person that's the biggest Trump fan in the world. But I also believe in giving credit where credit is due. And Donald Trump, for the past four years, has been ridden relentlessly by the media, basically saying that he is this Russian puppet or that he's this Russian doll that's been set into the presidency by Vladimir Putin himself, uh, that Russia purposefully put Trump into the, uh, put in, put uh, Donald Trump into the presidency and that Donald Trump knew all about it. Now, Absolutely. The, you know, I feel like the Mueller report was very clear that there was, of course, a Russian interference in the election. They weren't necessarily able to prove, though, that Donald Trump was in cahoots with Vladimir Putin. But this is still something that the media pushes constantly. OK, it's a narrative that has been going on for about four or five years now. And the fact that Donald Trump is now coming out and quieting Russia, coming out and hopefully putting in deals that are going to freeze nuclear warhead production and uh, put the United States and Russia on a more level playing field globally to reduce the power of Russia's reach globally. uh, The media doesn't like that. So you're probably not going to hear a big story about it. Um, So one of the things I think that the Trump administration um, in this is they're scoring a pretty big win. And it's right here, like two or three weeks before the election. It's set to be signed and to be finished up before November 3rd. And I think this could give Trump a pretty big push going into November 3rd if a lot of people know about it. The majority of American people are definitely afraid of Russia and a lot of the things that Russia does purposefully to undermine American interests, not only abroad, but also domestically. And you can see that with how much people were scared about Russia meddling in our election in 2016 and also the prospect of them meddling in the election in 2020. Um, So all that being said, um, I think it might be important actually kind of sit down and look through some of the big takeaways that, that we have here because the left is sitting down and they're looking at this and I think they're kind of confused because they're like, first of all, he's basically in a lot of ways just kind of re-signing and adding on to an Obama era program. Okay. So they can't be angry at Trump for doing that because Barack Obama's the one that wrote the whole thing and pretty much got it passed. Right. Um, And the right is lauding this as a gigantic achievement because being able to quell tensions with Russia and then hopefully within the next year or so add China into that would be a huge win for the Trump campaign and could give him a good push in the election. Um, So at this point, according to uh, Wall Street Journals who read um, exclusively, I guess, sent out the story, um, at this point they have yet to nail down, uh, the only things they have yet to nail down are the verification of the freeze, so basically making sure that Russia does actually freeze warhead production, 
And the second thing is the definition of a warhead. Both of those things are very important to making sure that there's a freeze on warhead production. Um, so Trump's obviously hoping they go back to the negotiating table here in the next year or so. Um, I think that if it's Trump or if it's Biden, this is a huge win because we want to be able to quell foreign interests, especially in Moscow um, and Beijing. So uh, Moscow has resisted a warhead freeze for a long time. Not necessarily sure how the Trump administration has been able to come in and kind of finagle their way into this, but it looks like they're going to do it. So a couple of big takeaways from this. First is that the lack of media coverage on this is incredibly indicative of how they've treated Trump for the past four years. I mentioned that a little bit ago, but the fact that this is an Obama-era policy that Trump is supporting and extending, and that it's a good treaty that is going to be beneficial for American interests, is all a good thing. And they're clearly, the media as a whole, very, very clearly does not want to cover this because it looks good for Trump. Like I said before, I'm not sitting here just handing, giving handouts for Trump all the time because that's not, I'm not the biggest fan of Trump, okay? But you have to at least give credit for Trump over the past four years has made a lot of pretty good accomplishments in foreign policy. This thing with Russia is a great example. Um, moving with China. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan of the tariffs that Donald Trump put on Tyra, uh, put on China, but um, he moved China, our, moved us, the United States, away from very heavy dependence on materials that are needed for national security, um, extremely dependent on China in the Obama era. Um, he pared back their push into the China Sea uh, with other countries, with Australia, India, a couple other countries, um, and then significantly has grown our Navy, especially in that area, to fight back uh, China's push militarily into the South China Sea. All of those things are very good things. Uh, second, uh, he got pretty overwhelming bipartisan support of moving the uh, capital of Israel to, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And the Abraham Accords, which was just passed within this year, which he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for, uh, which shored up relations between the United Arab Emirates, um, Bahrain, and Israel. So... And then lastly, of course, defeating ISIS in the Islamic Caliphate. Like, those are all pretty big like foreign policy accomplishments that Trump normally actually doesn't get a lot of credit for, or at least maybe not that I hear. Of course, on more right-wing or conservative uh, websites, you may hear a little bit of stuff about Donald Trump had, has had some decent foreign policy. And obviously, if you're on the left side of the aisle and you don't like Trump, or if you don't support a lot of his policies, there are, of course, are going to be things that he's done from a foreign policy standpoint that you wouldn't like or you wouldn't support. But... I think that it is safe to say that there have been some things that Trump has done in foreign policy that have been very, very good for American interests and will continue to be beneficial for American interests for years and years to come. I mean, the fact that he was able to have a treaty signed between Israel and previously incredibly hostile nations of Israel, that is a huge win. And that's not just a huge win for Republicans. That's a huge win for Democrats as well. That's a that's a huge win for the world. So... Um, I think that, you know, the second point is that if the story gets out, it will look very good for Trump. And I think that there's a large portion of the American media that obviously don't like Trump very much. And it goes very much against the narrative that they've pushed for a little while that like Trump is a Russian backed asset of Moscow, which is, I don't know, that's, I don't believe that to be true, but that's been a huge talking point on the left for a long time. So all this to say, story number two. Donald Trump's foreign policy really hasn't been all that awful if you're looking at it just from an objective 
this is decent for America and decent from the world perspective. I'm not going to say that Donald Trump has been uh, the best in terms of making America look great on the national stage. There are plenty of other foreign leaders that think that Donald Trump is a total dingbat, which is probably a fair assumption in some ways. But... Donald Trump has done some good things on a foreign policy standpoint, and I think this is kind of the icing on the cake in terms of his uh, first term here in office or you know, his first four years in office if he gets another four years or if it's his only term. It's just kind of an icing on a cake type deal where uh, Donald Trump is going to look very good for him heading into November because it's you know kind of, kind of negates a lot of the stuff that the left-wing media has accused Trump of for the past four years. So... With all that being said, let's go ahead, hop on into our story number three. So story number three, the presidential debate gets a bit of a rule change. Uh, This was not surprising at all. Personally, I'm a big fan of it. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there now. Um, If you've read anything about the rule change or, you know, kind of what they've done, I personally, I think it's a good thing. So the next debate will take place tomorrow, uh, October 22nd at 9 p.m. It'll have a similar layout to the last one, six 15-minute segments. It'll be Donald Trump and Joe Biden there. It's going to be hosted by Kristen Welker. Um, The six topics that they're going to be covering are fighting COVID-19, American families, race in America, climate change, national security, and then I think they're also going to talk a little bit about leadership and kind of just tack that in a little bit. So, um, big story here is, and we'll get into Kristen Welker a bit as the moderator, but big story here is basically that the commission, the debate commission that kind of runs the whole shindig came out and was like, so we're definitely going to mute the microphones of both of the candidates, uh, in the two minute period that they have to be able to give uninterrupted, uh, their uninterrupted point. Good, good for the commission. The last debate was such an embarrassment. Like, it was such a joke. Every single person that was watching that last debate was looking at that and being like, I cannot believe that this is happening on national television. And these are the people that are going to be running our country. Donald Trump interrupted Biden nonstop the entire time. You can't give Biden a break either because he, of course, was interrupting Trump as well. The least that the commission could have done is come in and say, listen, we're going to put a mute button on your microphones. The other, you guys have both agreed. You get two minutes in the beginning of the segment to give your spiel. All right. We're going to talk about, say, American families. Donald Trump, you got, you know, two minutes. Tell us what you think about American families. Okay. Both of them agreed Biden shouldn't interrupt Trump while he's talking in that two minutes. Both of them agreed Trump shouldn't interrupt Biden while he's talking for that two minutes. It's just being courteous. But unfortunately, because Donald Trump refused to be courteous in the first debate, they now have to come through and like smack him on the head with the ruler and like, no, you're not allowed to talk while Biden is talking. Don't do that anymore. So of course, Donald Trump comes out and he's like, you know, crying about it. Oh, this is terrible. I can't believe that you would have done this. Um, Biden, of course, lauds it as a huge thing. Oh, this is great because now Biden isn't going to have Trump just coming over there and stomping all over him the entire time. And he's trying to talk. Um, but Trump, his, uh, campaign manager, uh, came out, his name is Bill Stepien, Stepien, maybe Stepien, uh, came out and said that it was unacceptable. All right. And that it showed a clear bias for Biden. 
And if there's anything that Donald Trump and his campaign staff are very good at doing is jumping up and down and saying that the entire world is against them. Now, don't get me wrong. I've already said my opinion on the fact that I believe that the media in terms of the large portion of the media, of course, are against Trump. And I think that that's just objectively true. The vast majority of the media are very left-leaning, and they hit Trump pretty hard. You saw that in the past two debates, or I guess one debate in town hall. Like, Chris Wallace was pretty much arguing with Trump the entire time. Some of that was because he was trying to get Trump to quiet down, and Trump just wouldn't. But a lot of it is because Chris Wallace openly does not particularly care for Donald Trump. And then Savannah Guthrie... um, who uh, was the moderator or I guess the person that was kind of leading the whole town hall for Donald Trump last week on Thursday. I gave her a very, very easy ride last, uh, last Friday on my podcast, but she pretty much debated him. Like she did, she did a better job of talking about Joe Biden's talking points than Joe Biden did in their first debate. Savannah Guthrie was all after Donald Trump. In some ways, I think it kind of made Donald Trump look decent in some way, in some areas because he was having somebody that was bringing up opposing points and Donald Trump was kind of countering them and saying what he thought needed to happen. But it was apparently obvious that Savannah Guthrie is not a big fan of Donald Trump. Well, now with the second debate, and this is the final presidential debate, um, they've chosen Kristen Welker uh, to come in and to be the moderator of this debate. Kristen Welker is openly not a fan of Donald Trump has not been a fan of Donald Trump for a long time. And if you are a Republican that has thought that Donald Trump has gotten, a, I guess, a bad run of it with Chris Wallace and Savannah Guthrie, then you are in for a treat with Kristen Welker because she is probably going to be much worse. <laughs> so she is notoriously tough on Trump. She doesn't like him. Or her. She comes from a long family line of Democrats. Um Her whole family has kind of been big-time Democratic donors for a while. She celebrated Christmas at the White House with the Obamas in 2012. It's safe to say that she's very left-leaning, openly left-leaning, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. You're never going to be able to find somebody that's completely unbiased to be able to come in and do it. But um, I personally think that this actually, this two minutes, and if Trump can back off a little bit in this next debate— will end up being a better thing for Donald Trump in the long run. What he really needs is to be able to get up there, ask Joe Biden the hard questions that, you know, George Stephanopoulos in his town hall wouldn't ask Joe Biden or uh, that Chris Wallace wouldn't ask Joe Biden. You know, get up there and ask Joe Biden the difficult questions that he's been kind of avoiding and that he doesn't really want to say and that he's not really comfortable with talking about. And then let Joe Biden talk, right? Like, if you like the Joe Biden in a lot of ways has been not really been hit hard with a lot of very tough questions in the last town hall. I think that Joe Biden did a good job. I think that he carried himself well, but he didn't get asked a lot of tough questions outside of one young black man that stood up and was like, listen, you've said some pretty stupid stuff. And like, here's an example of one. What do you have to say about it? And I thought Joe Biden did a decent job in you know rebutting that. But um, if Donald Trump is able to get up there, back off a little bit, ask him a couple of difficult questions, and may end up voting well for Donald Trump. Now, if it looks like Joe Biden and Kristen Welker are up there teaming up on Donald Trump, then obviously Trump is going to end up getting upset. He's going to end up not doing well in the debate. I think that Donald Trump also really, really likes to be able to play a crowd, and he can't really do that in these presidential debates, so that's not helping him a ton either. Um, 
But it's, you know, it's incredibly clear why they decided to make this two-minute rule and muting the microphones. Like, everybody knows it's Trump. We don't, like... We don't have to sit around and be like, you know, especially if there's Republicans out there, they're sitting around being like, oh, I just don't know why they would do that. Like, come on. Everybody knows it was Donald Trump, and that's why they had to put this mute button on there. And uh, it had to be put in place. Trump literally would not stop uh, uh, interrupting Biden. Now, hopefully, that's going to stop a little bit. They're not obviously going to have a mute button there the entire time or they shouldn't be muting the entire time. So my guess is that Donald Trump is still going to interrupt Biden over and over and over and over again, kind of just par for the course at this point. But, um, you know, with that having been said, it's just going to be another presidential debate. I don't think it's going to end up changing a ton of people's minds at the end of the day. It's going to end up kind of just being like, well, this is kind of, I'm voting for who I'm voting for, and this is what I want to do. So um, with all that being said, that is our story number three. Okay, and now to go ahead and finish up the show with my favorite segment, something called Made Me Smile. So, something that made me smile this week, actually, in keeping with, I would say that it's part of the spooky season a little bit, but uh, before leading up to Halloween, my wife and I love to watch a whole bunch of movies. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago with Hocus Pocus, because that movie is fantastic, just a cult classic, but... Uh, this week, we watched Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. Fantastic movie. I forgot how good that movie was. We're planning on watching all five of them leading up to Halloween because, I mean, what's spookier than just all these ghost pirates riding around all throughout the world on these giant ghost pirate ships? It's just awesome. Good family fun. So if you have Disney Plus, hop on there and check it out because the movie was great. Forgot how good Johnny Depp was in that movie. Go and check that out for sure. So everybody, that's the show for today. Thank you so much for stopping in and for checking us out. Had a good time putting this one together. I really do think this was our best one yet. I mean, maybe it's arguable, but this one was good. Please check me out on all of the different social media platforms. We're on all the podcasting platforms as well. Um, If you want to look up everywhere that I'm at, find out a little bit about the show, check out splitthedifference.com. That's splitthedifference.com with one T, -T S-P-L-I-T-H-E-D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E.com. Go ahead and check it out there. It'll give you a little info about me, who I am, why I started the podcast, and give you all the different places that I'm at on social media um, and the podcasting platforms that I stream on. So, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show there. Remember, always keep a level head, always be reasonable, and always split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. <laughs>